everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of High Heels and Heartache. I sat down with Dr. Amelia Kelly to talk about how your body physically stores trauma and how adjunctive therapy can help release that trauma. Dr. Kelly has a really cool practice um, where she brings in professionals who not only do cognitive therapy, but they also do something else to help with that deep body and mind connection. Uh, She has professionals that do Reiki, therapeutic touch, Qigong, yoga, somatic experiencing, um, therapeutic massage, and meditation. And on this episode, Dr. Kelly actually walks us through a mindfulness meditation. So if you've never done a meditation before, here's your chance to try it out. All right, coming up next, my awesome interview with the insightful Dr. Amelia Kelly. Hello and welcome back to High Heels and Heartache. I'm here with Dr. Amelia Kelly. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Kelly. Thank you for having me. So Dr. Kelly is an integrative therapist with 15 years of experience and training in art therapy, hypnotherapy, yoga therapy, and other adjunctive treatments for trauma like EMDR, prolonged exposure, imagery rehearsal therapy, and trauma-sensitive yoga. Okay, do you promise you're not going to hypnotize me while we're talking? I promise, (laughs) unless you want me to, because that's really what it takes. Well, could you hypnotize me not to want Cinnabons, because that would be great. Sure, we could do that in the next one. Okay, perfect. (laughs) Dr. Kelly is the owner and supervisor of Kelly Counseling and Wellness in Cary, North Carolina, and her practice is part of the Trauma Consortium at the Kinsey Institute at Indiana State University. Well, congratulations on that. That's pretty awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Dr. Kelly has studied the effect of high-intensity interval training exercise on adults with ADHD, as well as the effect of music on childhood creativity. She is a trained level one and level two vinyasa yoga teacher, a yin yoga certified teacher, and a trained restorative yoga teacher. Oh, you know a lot about yoga. It's pretty wonderful. So I, th- I think once you start learning about yoga, there's really no end in the journey of yeah. learning about it. Namaste, so. right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Dr. Kelly provides yoga therapy to individuals facing physical and mental health challenges to help reduce symptoms, address trauma in the body, help reduce addiction, restore balance, and increase vitality. When she's not doing that, her art therapy group work with the substance abuse population has been featured in the media, as well as her advocacy for the licensure of art therapy in the state of North Carolina. Dr. Kelly has been featured in the news as an expert discussing addiction to technology. She has also offered blog contributions in the area of coping with ADHD and marriage, as well as podcasts about art therapy and mental health. Additionally, she is a trained meditation teacher with a library of her teachings found on Insight Timer. Dr. Kelly is currently working on her first book, Examining Healthy Coping for an Overactive overactive Nervous System in an Overactive Society. (laughs) That sounds really interesting. I think we all could probably benefit from that book. I would agree. (laughs) I don't know anyone who doesn't have an overactive nervous system. So... Dr. Kelly is really an expert 
in how trauma affects the body. And she's built her whole practice out of helping people kind of get back to getting their bodies back to kind of normalcy. Um, And that's really important when we talk about survivors of any type of abuse. Definitely. Um, Really, you know, violence or sexual trauma, but even just verbal Mm -hmm. abuse, you know, that trauma does get into your body. So can you explain... How does trauma affect your body? Certainly. So there's a really wonderful way or metaphor to put this where what goes up must come down. Okay. Okay. So on a daily basis, we can be traumatized by little things, um, or we can even purposely put ourselves into traumatic situations. Thinking about uh, bungee jumping, for instance. Mm -hmm. So you're on the ledge you're in danger, your body starts to ignite all of the processes that are necessary to deal with trauma. You jump and then the body gets to finish the whole motion of going up all of the different parts of the body. Your blood pressure goes up, your eyes dilate, your sweat glands open, um, your digestion actually stops or slows down. Yes. Because what happens is the body is going to preserve all of its energy in order to ignite the areas of the the body, your muscles to fight or act. That's where fight flight comes from. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that sometimes we can't escape what is happening. So in the terms of someone who's willingly putting themselves into a traumatic situation by bungee jumping, they finish the full cycle when they land on the ground gently, nicely, unharness, and feel like they succeeded at something. The body goes back to a calm state. But for people who experience, whether it be a catastrophic situation, whether it be a near-death experience, or whether it be you were mentioning something about just emotional abuse, that's more of a developmental or chronic trauma. There's this instance where you don't get to get off of the bungee cord. Mm. You can't escape what's happening, whether it be a single incident or whether it be chronic. And so the body starts to store this pent up energy because it wasn't able to complete the cycle of what goes up must come down. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. So you never get to feel like your feet are planted firmly on the ground and the thing that was scaring you is now over. Pretty much, or or at least that you have some agency or control over what was scaring you. So even if what was scaring you is over, but you weren't able to act in a way to protect yourself in that event. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a uh, specific, I think you and I, when we had met and were chatting, I told you about that, that kidnapping out West. Mm-hmm. I do think this is important to mention because it's a really good way to kind of illustrate what happens. Um, So it was called the Chowchilla kidnapping. Um, It was in 1976, and there was a bus of children that were kidnapped by three men, put into a essentially a live grave. There's no way to sugarcoat this. Oh, God. And with the bus driver, and they were trapped. And so these poor children for 16 hours had no idea what was going to happen to them. So a good portion of the children started to do what the body also does, which is freeze. So if you can't fight flight, eventually the body will freeze and just kind of check out, dissociate. Uh, The three children and the bus driver who worked to dig everyone out 
they mobilized. They were able to do something about it. So 40 years later, and it's interesting, I just saw an article on CNN about this exact case, which is crazy. Um, those four those four people who were able to mobilize and do something in the face of such a scary situation don't have PTSD symptoms, whereas all of the children who weren't able to are struggling. And they're struggling in a way, interestingly, our body stores trauma similar to what we were experiencing during the trauma. Really? Yes. Yeah, so, so for instance, these kids who are now adults, the majority of them struggle not only with some of the other symptoms of PTSD, which I'm sure we'll chat about at some point during mm-hmm. this episode, um, but very specific symptoms that relate to what happened that day. So they're afraid of the dark and they have um, claustrophobia. Because that's what they had experienced because during that's what the they trauma. Had experienced, or you think about a rape victim, for instance. Um, I know in our area in the Triangle at UNC, I believe there is a um, pelvic pain clinic that specifically specializes in helping women who have stored their trauma in their pelvis, which is where the trauma occurred. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different reasons why the body does this as a protective nature. So even people who, once you get past your trauma, your body is still remembering that you've been traumatized. Mm -hmm. Even if your feet are on the ground, so to speak, your body still remembers that you had been traumatized. Right. Well, and it it depends to, to what degree did you process through this? Because that's the other thing to remember is that just because someone wasn't able to mobilize doesn't mean that all hope is lost. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point of adjunctive therapies for trauma. Mm -hmm. If you go to someone who specializes in trauma, they're going to understand that just talking about it may not do the trick, although it is helpful. It does increase resiliency to talk about our traumas, but it doesn't always give us that sense of agency and ownership and, um, you know, that triumph over what it was. That's a good point because like I felt when I went to my PTSD counselor, when she explained to me mm-hmm. how, fear and the brain, like mm-hmm. what part of, what parts of my brain were activated when, when I was being abused. Mm-hmm. And then when I was having these episodes afterwards right. and she was explaining to me, well, this is the part of your brain that is that is kind of firing because of what happened to you, then that helped me to understand it. So I totally, Mm -hmm. I get what you're saying about that is, you know, when you're learning, not just talking about it, but learning different techniques to help you, whether it's making sense of it logically Mm -hmm. or figuring out where that trauma is in your body, that would be such an important part. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what happens... What are the long-term consequences of not kind of going in and figuring out and addressing that trauma in your body? So there's really two branches to answer here. One would be physical and one would be mental, emotional. So I can speak to both of those. Yeah. Um, First, to address the physical, um, as we were just kind of mentioning the way that the body can hold memories can affect uh, the way that we carry physically carry our muscles. And fascia is actually something that gets explored a lot in yin yoga. Uh, Fascia is this, there's really, I'd have to go really deep into it to really (laughs) explain what fascia is, but essentially it covers all of our major organs and muscles and tendons and joints. 
And when you experience trauma, it's one of the three reasons fascia gets sticky and stickiness and dryness creates pain and inflammation. So dehydration, immobility, and trauma are the three reasons fascia gets thick, sticky, and immobile. Okay. So for instance, if you, um, I, I can relate to, I got in a biking accident on my right shoulder and I rolled on it. And so years later, if I'm stressed out, if someone is making me feel upset, the first area in my body that hurts is my right shoulder. Wow. Yeah. And so the thing of it is, is that I'm not experiencing a deep PTSD trauma from that. So I have enough awareness of my body to feel that that's happening, but that's part of what is taken away from people who go through trauma is that sense of what's happening in the body and what's where our body is in space. So if you, let's say your bike accident Mm -hmm. was something extremely traumatic for you and and you ended up having PTSD from that Mm -hmm. and then you were triggered with trauma, Mm-hmm. would your body react there first? I mean, some theories would say yes. Huh. Um, that's so interesting. Yeah, and that's why it's important. That's why you see all these different uh, adjunctive therapies that focus on the body, um, whether it be through massage, through yoga, um, through somatic experiencing, um, and really just kind of pulling the body back into it. Now, there's also been research out there, uh, for instance, specifically the ACE study, and ACE standing for adverse child experiences, childhood experiences, showing that there's a direct connection between the amount of trauma someone experiences as a child and issues with mortality rate and also other medical diagnoses because it can affect your immune system, chronic stress. Um, and, wow. And I wish the viewers could see the, the look on <laughs> I'm your face I'm making a face right like, now. oh my God. <laughs> so, so if you had let's say, sustained childhood trauma, mm-hmm. and these things are not worked out, mm-hmm. it could make you die younger? Well, I mean, that's a very... That, that's almost <laughs> too black or white. <laughs> okay. I, essentially, what it means is that because of your trauma, really, there's two reasons for this. One could be that you haven't been equipped and you're not readily using healthy lifestyle to facilitate a longer life. Gotcha. So, so you don't do... You might make bad choices, self-destructive behavior, right, exactly. et cetera. So that's a big piece of it. But the other piece that's a lot more in-depth and much more scientific to go into during this chat is based on things like your immune system and your endocrine system and how you respond to illnesses and things like that can be affected by people who are deeply traumatized. Now, that doesn't mean that that's the end of the story because, like I said, that's the point of working these things out through the body. Um, simpler things that someone might notice are uh, TMJ, uh, headaches, uh, IBS. Okay. Um, other different gut, brain issues can all be the byproducts or symptoms on a medical stance. As far as the emotional part, um, you know, there's a lot of different things going on here. Uh, diagnostically, you've got issues that could come up with anxiety disorders, depression, um, which are often misdiagnoses for what is actually PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in addition, there's this hyperarousal that someone who has been traumatized is consistently going through 
which can affect things like interpersonal skills, stress, um, mindfulness, the ability to be where you are when you're there, um, flashbacks, nightmares. So it's, and this is the short end of the list um, because like I said, it can be very individualized based on the trauma someone went through. Um, in my favorite book on trauma by Bessel van der Kolk, um, The Body Keeps the Score. If you, have you read it? I have not read it. It's phenomenal. It's dense. <laughs> but um, he talks about this man who had um, been had already been traumatized in the military. And then years later, as an EMS, he saw an accident um, on the side of the road. So he went to go assist the person. And what he had been taught is you reach in and you turn the ignition off, right? So he reaches in and saw a brutal scene that I won't explain mm-hmm. and reacted by jerking his arm back out of fear. Years later, he went to every medical professional that he could, not realizing the whole time what he was doing is recreating that pain in his body. It's just, oh. it's wild how the body holds on to those things. So again, I keep going back to the body. But. <laughs> well, that's what you're here to talk about. So, mm-hmm. and that's how your whole practice is kind of set up. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about your practice and how it's not just you, you have a bunch of professionals there mm-hmm. um, that address trauma. What mm-hmm. what are what are you guys doing to to help your patients and with trauma? Okay, so as a practice, um, what I always look for when bringing someone on board is someone who does understand that deep body mind connection and someone who utilizes at least one adjunctive therapy. With, along with the more traditional psychotherapy. So we have someone on staff who is a Reiki practitioner. That's so cool. Which is awesome. Um, we have someone who is specialized in therapeutic touch, mm-hmm. which is a medical certification. Really? Yes. Um, and she also uh, performs and teaches Qigong, which can help move trauma out of the body. I don't know what Qigong is. Neither do I. <laughs> I am I'm the first to admit if I don't know something. I don't really know what it is either. Okay. I'll put a link to Qigong in the show notes and we all Although, can learn. I know, right? Although I will say she emailed me last week asking if we could start um, a free group on Wednesday evenings at 630 to teach people about Qigong. I so will be there. Maybe I'll have to go. Um, and then um, we've got, well, myself, I, I am the one that does the yoga therapy, also art therapy, um, EMDR. We have more than one EMDR therapist. Um, that's eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. Um, we have uh, two therapists who have experience with somatic experiencing therapy, another one who is also a meditation teacher. So it's really about bringing the body and the mind together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really, we really celebrate that at our practice. So it's not just necessarily sit on this couch and tell me what you've been through. No, no. I mean, if anything, we have a movement therapy room where we also have um, Jenica from Welletic who has, it's her own business within our business. She's there Friday through Monday. And she does therapeutic massage for women who have experienced uh, trauma, mm-hmm. whether it be childbirth, sexual mes- molestation, uh, rape, something like that, um, and uh, reteaching women how to do things like self-massage and kind of help them with things like pelvic pain, like I was mentioning. And and the whole 
idea of the practice mm-hmm. is you're here for lack of a better kind of way to say it, like you're getting your mind right, but you're getting your body right too. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. then we're going to connect those two things together. Right. And then you're going to see maybe better, re- most likely better results than if you were just here right. describing your experiences and working through them just verbally. Right, right. Well, and the verbal piece is huge too. Um, but, you know, it's it's almost more of a, an Ayurvedic approach where you're just kind of really looking at the full body. And I know every single one of the people on staff are also addressing things like people's diet, exercise, what, what food, it's interesting. Yoga calls food, everything around you. So what you listen to, what, who you're with, just your environment. And so it's kind of like, what is that? But the one thing that was important to us is making sure that this is not just accessible to people who have phenomenal insurance or can pay huge out of pocket costs. Mm -hmm. So we have a really awesome sliding fee. And if you go to our main page, it literally says anyone who wants therapy can get therapy. And that's our whole goal. Oh, that's really great. Yeah. Because people need it and people Mm -hmm. need, you know, that mind body connection is so important. Mm -hmm. So you also do meditations yes, and you do mindfulness Mm -hmm. meditations. Mm -hmm. So can you First, just tell us what a mindfulness meditation is because I always thought like a meditation is like clear your brain of all thoughts. Think of nothing. (laughs) If you think of anything, you're doing it wrong. So what's mindfulness meditation? Well, first of all, let me put that misconception to bed, what you had just said, because we are humans. We are thinking people. You can't turn off your thoughts. Okay. It's okay if you're thinking. <laughs> okay, good. Um, that makes me feel better. Now I don't feel like such a failure with meditation. No, no, no. There's three different tenets to meditation. Um, the first is relaxation, posture, and then that alignment. So, I mean, being able to relax the body, align the body, and then just witness what's happening. So mindfulness, speaking specifically to mindfulness meditation, um, Mindfulness itself is the practice of awareness of what is happening around you, and that can include your thoughts. Okay. So something that I will explain to someone if they're trying to practice mindfulness meditation is if you have thoughts coming up, just witness them. Don't judge them. Don't try to change them. Just allow them to be as they are. Um, Some either DBT therapists or mindfulness therapists or mindfulness teachers will encourage someone to imagine it floating away on a cloud or, you know, there's all these really fun (laughs) visuals. Uh Um, But essentially the the one difference, there's different types of meditation. For instance, Vipassana has a lot to do with enlightenment or um, I think there's uh, some other forms of meditation that have a lot to do with just strictly the body. But mindfulness specifically is becoming more of a master of listening to your own thoughts and recognizing them. My favorite thing that happens when you practice mindfulness, um, especially in a form of meditation, is something called choiceless awareness. Choiceless awareness. Yes. Oh, okay. So <laughs> when you when you get to a state where you're you're relaxed enough, maybe you're paying enough attention to the breath. Maybe you've I know for me, my little thing is I say come back to mm-hmm. my thoughts. That's one of my ways to pull my thoughts back to me. Um not to let them race around and try to judge and plan like we're always doing. 
But um, as far as choiceless awareness goes, what it is is where your thoughts become separate from you and they no longer affect you. They don't affect your body. They don't affect your mood. The best way to put it that I've said before is if you're kind of standing under a waterfall, let's imagine like a nice trickling one in the mountains, not not Niagara Falls, (laughs) and you're feeling it. So that's like your feelings normally when you're walking around and you're not mindful. You know, we could feel stressed both in our thoughts, but then also our blood pressure may go up or something like that. So as you're doing that, you're in the waterfall. When you're practicing mindfulness meditation and you hit that point of choiceless awareness, I describe it as it's almost like you're stepping behind the waterfall and you can see the thoughts, but you don't feel them anymore. Oh, so and that goes back with kind of separating that trauma from yes. your body. Yes. And that's what we're trying to do mm-hmm. is get mm-hmm. that trauma out of our actual physical bodies. Right. Well, and, and not looking at it in a judgmental tone mm. too. That's a hard thing to do. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the process. Yeah. yeah. So... You are going to walk us through a mindfulness meditation. Mm-hmm. Now, like, let's say someone is driving their car right now. Mm-hmm. Is it? A, can they do a mindfulness meditation and drive their car? Or should, like, they pull over? Like, I don't want to... <laughs> so, no, certainly. So, at, at the beginning of this meditation, I'll encourage you to choose whether you want to have your eyes open or close. So, I mean, driving, you may become very relaxed, but it's okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm an eyes open person. That's okay. okay. So, I would say if you are, and you know what, I'm, I'm going to just bring this up, bringing back the trauma piece. It's not uncommon for someone who's gone through trauma to be an eyes open person. Oh, there we go. It can be a very vulnerable state to have your eyes closed, especially when you're going to be doing something like meditation because you can feel a little bit kind of out of body. Okay. So the one thing I would encourage is a soft gaze. Okay. So maybe choosing something, maybe it's your lap, maybe it's, and this could, this is going to you listeners as well. (laughs) Um, You know, maybe it's your lap, maybe it's just a point on the floor. Some people might choose um, an anchor like a candle or flowers or something like that. Okay. I'm just looking at the beautiful flowers. (laughs) (laughs) We try to make it very nice in our, in our studio here at High Heels and Hardy. (laughs) Okay. I'm ready. Hope you're ready listeners. We're going to do it. All right. Here we go. Take a moment to find a comfortable position. Feel the weight of your body on the surface you are sitting on or lying on. If you would like, you can allow your eyes to close or you can allow yourself to have a nice soft gaze. Your face and jaw become soft and relaxed. Your awareness will now shift to the sensation of breathing. Feel your abdomen moving with each in-breath and each out-breath. The movement of air through your nostrils creates a slight movement of your chest and your shoulders. Notice this now. Bring your awareness to your breath cycle, wherever it is, and find the most vivid place in your body that you feel your breath. Maybe that's your tummy, your chest, or your shoulders. Notice this now.
As you breathe, you may notice your attention shifting away from the breath. The mind may wander into memories, thoughts, worries, or things you may need to do. Try now not to give yourself a hard time. If you notice this happening, gently but firmly bring your attention back to the sensation of breathing. The actual physical sensation of breath as it moves through your body allows you to become more aware and more mindful. Notice the tendency to want to control thinking. Instead, allow for just gentle observing and noticing. Any thoughts that come up just gently flow back and forth, much like the waves on the ocean. Gently bring yourself back to the sensation of breathing once again. You can choose to remain here longer if you would like, or you can finish this mini mindfulness meditation with a nice big deep breath in and out with a sigh. That was awesome. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I really like that because that, that's so different than any meditation I've done before with like trying to erase every thought. Mm -hmm. So, I, and I could almost feel like sort of like my blood pressure going down. Absolutely. Like I just felt, I was mm -hmm. really feeling more relaxed. Awesome. So when, do you do that like in the beginning of a session with a client mm -hmm. or at the end or in the middle? When yeah. do you kind of employ that that's particular? A great question. It really depends on the client. Um, if I have a client who's come in and they're very activated at the beginning of their session, mm -hmm. agitated, maybe they were late, maybe they had a stressful day, we might start with a meditation mm -hmm. just to get them in the room. Um, other times, if I'm talking with someone and it feels like they're spinning, they're cycling, they're not like getting out of what it is that we're trying to work through, Yeah, we might use meditation at that point. Um, or other people we who are coming in for yoga therapy. Yeah. We start with breathing, some some pranayama work, just focusing on breath. So that, that'll be mini, kind of like a two-minute meditation. And then we'll end in Shavasana with five to ten minutes of meditation. So for people listening today, like if you are, you know, working through a trauma, whether it be you are a survivor of any kind of abuse um, or violence, would you recommend like maybe doing that mindfulness meditation like in the beginning of your day to kind of like start with being in your body? Yeah. I mean, that's, if, if anything, that is probably going to be one of the best times a day, not only because of what it can do for your body, but because there's less junk in the way that might prevent you from getting it done. Mm -hmm. But I've got clients who have young kids or who have really high-pressure jobs who have made commitments for their treatment to make meditation as regular as brushing their teeth. And some of them will meditate in the car. Mm -hmm. You know, they might get to work five minutes early and meditate sitting in the car. Um, other people who will make a point of doing it in the evening so they can sleep. 
My personal favorite time of day is the three o'clock slump. <laughs> you know? So instead of eating potato chips, mm-hmm. <laughs> you I, should meditate. Well, and I've noticed it really in it, and this is getting into a whole nother topic, but it can have an impact on things like appetite, stress level, um, kind of re reorient you to what's actually happening mm-hmm. in your body. Well, one thing that I thought was really interesting during that mindfulness meditation that you walked us through was it's it was a lot like the instruction I received about when I was um, first being treated for PTSD mm-hmm. and and I was being, even though I hate this word, triggered. Mm-hmm. Like th- a lot of that is what they teach you there. Like right. to feel mm-hmm. your breath, to mm-hmm. feel in your body, you know, right. your feet on the ground, to mm-hmm. do all that. So that's, it's really interesting to me, like mm-hmm. that connection Absolutely. between meditation and, mm-hmm. and it, it is probably so helpful mm-hmm. for those patients that you have that come in who are experiencing trauma and, you know, trying to get that out of their bodies. Well, just to speak to that really briefly, all the things that I was mentioning prior that have to do with physical health, Mm -hmm. immune system problems, things like that, can all be treated with meditation. Oh, really? There is a ton of research out there supporting the fact that meditation helps with your immune system, your blood pressure, um, and things such as interoception and proprioception, the awareness of what's happening in the body and outside of the body. It helps grow the gray matter in your frontal cortex. It's it's wild, the amount of benefits from meditation. And it's really, it's great because it's becoming a lot more mainstream. It's not just, you know, these highly religious. Yeah, I mean, they're seeing the benefit for corporations and just in general. So, and it doesn't, it could be 60 seconds if you can't fit it in. It could totally change your day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I definitely feel more relaxed after that. Right. And you just said a, a word that I had never heard before I started working with you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I got to Google this. <laughs> <laughs> and I still need you to walk me through. What is interoception okay. and, and why is it important? Okay. So, To understand interoception, I'll just really quickly speak of proprioception as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We're getting two for one here, people. We're getting two two vocabulary (laughs) words for the price of one. (laughs) Get that Jeopardy board out. Um, So proprioception has to do with the receptors in your muscles that allow you to see, like right now I talk with my hands, the viewers can't see, but... (laughs) I'm moving my arm and I can feel where I know I'm not going to hit anything. Mm -hmm. And that's proprioception. You know where your body is in space. There's a phenomenon called interoception. And these were coined by a Nobel Prize winner in early 1900s. And I genuinely cannot remember his name. But (laughs) um, so interoception has to do with the receptors inside the body that will be able to pick up on sensations such as hunger, thirst, whether or not you're hot, nausea, all of the things that happen inside the body. Okay. And, and if you think about it, if you think about trauma and how you, were, you used the buzzword triggered before, mm-hmm. and you said, I don't like that word, but <laughs> I mean, it, it fits this because being able to witness when you're, let's say stress level zero to 10, correct? 10 is you're having a panic attack. If you're someone who has not been traumatized, you can feel, and it doesn't have to just be trauma like your life is in danger. It could be a consistently stressful relationship. 
Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's really all it takes. So if you're concerned... Or a boss that's constantly <clears throat> right, like on right. you and stressful. And, right, because yeah. that's a relationship as well. Mm-hmm. So, or, you know, one of the traumas, just to say this really quickly, that I see a lot of people, because I see a lot of adults in, in the work that I do, is adults who have dealt with children who have gone through traumatized things and the consistent stress of dealing or caring for an ill child or a child with substance abuse issues. I mean, that's something that is not represented enough in those who are traumatized. Yeah. Um, But the thing with interoception is that it allows you to notice when your heart rate is going up before you get to a 10. So if you're someone who has had trauma, there are areas of the brain that are underactive that deal with interoception that don't allow you to feel when your blood rate is, or when your blood pressure or your heart rate is going above to a five, six, seven. So, you know, it's how many times were you told when you were going to treatment, just use your coping skills, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But how do you know to use your coping skills if you can't feel when you're at a four or a five. Yeah, because I would be using my coping skills. I'm making mm-hmm. air quotes there. Right. When I was already like <clears throat> far gone in feeling like I was about to have a panic attack. I never could use a coping skill when I was at a six. Right. Because I wasn't being taught to like, I know that this sounds weird, but like get in my body about it. It doesn't sound it. weird at all. It sounds right on. So mm-hmm. interoception would be, okay, I feel right now that my heart is starting to beat faster. Yes. I mm-hmm. feel right. I mean, like I'm, a, I'm just a sweaty person, but <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm starting to get, you know, sweatier palms. Okay. Right. I'm starting to feel mm-hmm. tight in my, in my shoulders. Yes. And everything you just explained are things that I, I was mentioning trauma-sensitive yoga are things that we do in that. Um, so even just a simple act of downward dog, have you done? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, if you're in a class that's just strictly focusing on form, you're going to say downward dog, get those heels down, get that, you know, get that, mm-hmm. those hips up in the sky. But if you're trying to work on trauma as well, you're also going to say, feel your belly going up and down. Feel what your blood pressure feels like now. Feel the weight of your hands. And you're going to go a lot deeper into the body and really trying to help the person get into their body and feel what's happening when they're holding postures that may elicit a little bit of a trigger response. Because, for instance, downward dog, your heart's above you know, it's kind of below your hips. Yeah. So it might create a little bit of a increase in your blood pressure, your heart rate, which also feels a little similar to a panic attack. Yeah. So it's very cyclical. And, and it's it really is interesting to me because it also kind of connects with when you have been in a trauma, in a prolonged trauma, mm-hmm. like you don't really have time for your body to kick one to ten. Like, mm-hmm. you kind of need your body on 10 quickly so right. you can, you know, mm-hmm. fight off your attacker mm-hmm. or whatever you have to do. So that's really interesting, too, because your body has been trained to go right to 10. Right. So you don't, you don't even get, like, the chance for any interoception because right. you, you, you couldn't have that. You couldn't be at a 4 if you needed to be a 10. Well, and if you think of it this way, it's also a way to protect yourself because if you are going through something deeply traumatic – and you can feel everything going on, that's why we dissociate. Mm. Because if we can feel everything, then it's almost too much to bear. 
Oh, so if you're feeling yourself go all the way up the scale, then your brain has got to protect you in some way. At the time of trauma. Yeah. But that's the problem when someone's not in the traumatic situation anymore. Uh-huh. And you could, for instance, hear things, like the other buzzwords like flashbacks or um, hypervigilance, is that the body is is so adapted to being in that state when it's under stress, needing to protect the self. I mean, I think of someone who has been abused before who doesn't like to be in crowds Mm -hmm. because that itself can be very intense and create a lot of um, those feelings inside the body that maybe you're not able to regulate early on. Mm -hmm. Um, But then on the contrasting side, you have people, I, I'm thinking of war veterans, for instance, who come back who learned how to perform better at a 10. Oh. And so they come back and, you know, we're going all the way back to the beginning of our chat today when I was talking about what goes up must come down, is that sometimes they don't feel truly alive or awake unless they're up. Mm. So that speaks, if you think about relationships, why would someone cyclically get into domestic, abusive, violent relationships Mm -hmm. because that is the more familiar feeling for the body. Mm -hmm. Because you almost feel strangely safer at Mm -hmm. 10 Mm -hmm. than nothing, which is interesting because like I was speaking to my husband and I was like, the times that I feel like I'm going to like get panicky Mm -hmm. are actually times when there it's like there's really no threat. Like when mm-hmm. everything is just kind of moving along, we're mm-hmm. going on a schedule, everything is great. Right. That's when I start to feel like, uh-oh, uh-oh, mm-hmm. uh-oh. Like right. I, I like I gotta I gotta stay kind of right. hyped just mm-hmm. in case. Right, right. Well, and that's that's why people who have experienced trauma that is untreated generally are going to end up with some sort of anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. Because if you're in the anxious state long enough, it's going to have an impact on your mental health. Yeah. So today we've been talking about trauma in the body. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about the consequences of of not really getting in and treating not only your mm-hmm. mental and emotional state, but also your body as well. What are the long-term benefits mm-hmm. of treating trauma and the body? Okay. So really, if we were to take everything we talked about and look at the contrast of it, um, the fact that you can physically change the brain still is so exciting. Um, there used to be this old notion that, I don't know if you heard this, but like you hit 26 and your brain just stops growing or it was something, <laughs> some kind of thing like that. But neuroplasticity, if, if that's, that's another Google word. Uh-huh. Um, oh, I know about that because my mom, um, when we're in target, she likes to hold things with her left hand cause she's right dom- dominant. So she believes that's going to prevent her from getting Alzheimer's. I mean, she's got she's got something to it. Maybe we could turn it into a research situation. But there is something to be said that we can change the DNA in our brain, and we are able to consistently make new connections. There's um, with neuroplasticity, they say um, what fires together wires together. Mm-hmm. So that speaks to trauma. If you're constantly avoiding a stimuli because that triggered something in you do um, related to your trauma, then you're reinforcing that you need to get away from that. So the simple act of facing the things that trigger you 
and allowing your body to go up and then go down. Remember we were saying what goes up must come down. Mm -hmm. When you go up and then you come down, your body starts to rewrite the stories. And if you're being taught interoception, right. you are learning, okay, and my, skills. I can feel mm-hmm. my body right. revving up. I'm at a four here. Right. I'm probably going to go to a 10, <laughs> but then I'm going to come back down, right. back through the scale too. Right, which improves mindfulness. So that's something that improves when you address these, these issues of trauma. Um, other things just in your life, I mean, people have gone from some of the most horrible relationships to some of the most wonderful relationships. <laughs> I'm kind of smiling at you. Um, and that's due to addressing what's going on. So when you open yourself up to that healing, you really can improve your life. That's the exciting thing about trauma is it doesn't have to be a static story. Um, and then I had mentioned before things like the gray matter in your brain, your immune system, your blood pressure, your your all of the different health aspects too can improve as you use these skills that help the body. And you were saying before that dehydration, immobility, Mm -hmm. and trauma Mm -hmm. hurt your fascia. Yes. So through your work, can you reverse any damage that you've done to your fascia? You can certainly reverse some of it. Um, I can't speak to whether you can reverse all of it um, Mm -hmm. because I don't like to say absolutes when I'm talking about this kind of stuff. But um, for instance, when you, with yin, you're supposed to hold postures for an extended amount of time, breathe into the posture, find your edge and meditate essentially. And what happens is that the little, I guess, kind of like sticky fibers can start to loosen and move. Some people have emotional releases mm-hmm. when they're in these postures. Um, some people will be holding fear. The hips are a huge place that we hold fear. Really? Yes. Because think about it. When you're when you're about to be trauma, like with something, even if you're on the highway and a semi-truck seems like they're going to dip into your lane, Right. Where do you get tight first? In, in, yeah. in your back and through your hips right. and in your shoulders. Yeah. It's the part of your body that helps you flight if you need. So uh-huh. we hold so much in our hips. So doing things that open up the fascia and the hips is one of the biggest and most important areas to work on. The whole body is important, but mm-hmm. it's just an example mm-hmm. of how you can move the memories around. And compassion for yourself when those things do happen is going to be really important too. Mm-hmm. You know, if not fighting it and not trying to push it back down because the body is going to hold it. Mm-hmm. And I think one one thing I keep hearing you say, which I think is really important for the listeners, is if you have been traumatized, this does not mean that this is your normal for the rest of your life. Absolutely not. That, that you you can almost like reverse mm-hmm. the th- the things that you're keeping in your body by doing mindfulness meditations, maybe mm-hmm. some yoga or all of the other things that you have <laughs> that I don't know right. what they are at your system. I think that that's an important thing mm-hmm. for the listeners to hear mm-hmm. is, you know, just that there is hope mm-hmm. and that, you know, your your body can get back to the way it felt before. This isn't like a life sentence. No, I would never call it a life sentence. I do think it is important to respect how... how hard it can be to believe that though. Mm -hmm. And how, even if you've done all the work, it doesn't mean you might not have a day that's not a great day, Mm -hmm. or it doesn't mean that there might not be a new thing 
that may trigger you. And that doesn't mean that all the progress that you've made doesn't count. It just means it's part of, it's part of your story and it's something that can make you better and make you, you know, just be able to do all these amazing things for yourself. But on the other hand, I can think of people who I've known, who I've worked with and people I've known just personally that I almost feel like they would almost feel a little insulted if I were to say, oh, it'll just get better. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because it will get better, but it's always something that is part of your story. Yeah. And it's kind of like, how do you want to integrate it into your story? Yeah. Because that's a big part of working through trauma is integration. Um, EMDR was that treatment I talked about before. A lot of it is about taking something that happened that was tra traumatic to you and being able to integrate it so that it works in the life that you have. Hmm. Not trying to get rid of it. Yeah. So we don't want to keep thinking of getting rid of something. We're talking about reintegration. Yeah. Does that make sense? Because it is still yeah. a part of you. Right. And it's it's a part of the story, but it doesn't have to be the final act. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Well, thank you so much for being here, Dr. Kelly. Thanks I have for having me. I have learned so much from you. <laughs> <laughs> I have to Google schmoogle But nothing about Qigong. <laughs> <laughs> but we're still going to go on Wednesday night and learn how to Qigong yes. or whatever that is. And I'm definitely going to ask you to come back I and talk to us some to. more. And I really, I really liked our, our meditation. And thank you so much Thanks. for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. A huge thank you to Dr. Amelia Kelly for being on the podcast today. I so enjoyed our conversation. And thank you, listeners, for being with us, too. Um, if you'd like more information on Dr. Kelly, I've included all of her contact info in the show notes, along with a link to her Insight Timer webpage in case you want to check out some more meditations from her. Um, always remember that there was a meditation in this episode of High Heels and Heartache. And that way, in case you need one, in case you need to feel more grounded or you need to connect that body and that mind, um, that meditation is here for you to use. Again, if you are in a violent or an unsafe relationship, please know that there is help. Call the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which is one 800 Seven nine nine seven two three three. Again, that number is one eight hundred seven nine nine. Safe.